1 Corinthians 12 in your Bibles, guess what? We are going to try to finish the chapter tonight. And, uh, and, and I don't mean three hours either, because if I got enough time, I can finish all kinds of chapters. But uh, I don't mean in three hours. As we start moving forward here, this thing gets uh, kind of moves into some pretty practical application stuff. And the rest of this chapter is, is fairly practical. I'm going to show you some things. We'll turn to some references, but uh, I won't inundate you with too much. First Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, let's go ahead and pray first, and then we'll, we'll get in here. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd please help me as we uh, try to get through the rest of this chapter. If it's your will, I'd like to finish it tonight. Uh, if it's not, then you just slow me down and help me to uh, focus where you'd have me to focus. Lord, I want to be uh, fully in your control. And I pray, Father, you'd just bless this teaching. I pray that you'd help me to uh, have my mind sharp, and I pray you'd get to our church uh, the message that we need individually as well as corporately the message we need from you, so that this place can be exactly what it is you want it to be, Lord. And uh, I realize that you're the one that builds the church. Uh, my responsibility is just to oversee it as you've directed and to feed the flock. And so I just pray that you'd help us now and enable me to do what I can't, and that is feed your folks. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've been talking here about the gifts and talents as we've been coming down through this chapter. And uh, you'll notice in verse number 11, we kind of left off here last week. We'd gone through these different gifts, and I'd showed you what they mean and which ones are active still in the church and which ones aren't. We pointed out that the sign gifts are to the Jews because the Jews require a sign. And after Israel had rejected their Messiah a second time in the book of Acts, that the sign gifts kind of dwindled off. And what's left with us are some other gifts that are a little more practical. They're not the sign gifts. They're not speaking in tongues and healing people and raising people from the dead and all that stuff. That's all gone. And by now you should understand why. In verse number 11 it says, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit of God... God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who's given every individual in the church their specific gifts. And we all have different gifts in the church. We don't all have the same gift. The problem is we're Americans. That's a big problem. I mean, that's a very big problem. When you go other places on missions trips, third world countries especially, you find the church it looks and feels completely different than what it feels and looks like here in the U.S., uh, you find a bunch of people that just kind of get together and, and, and sing and listen to preaching and go home. Uh, you don't see as much competitive uh, self-promoting and scrambling for spots and positions and recognition. And, and you don't see a lot of people, you know, majorly offended because your pastor didn't shake my hand. Um, what we have in the United States of America is brains that have been programmed, I believe, by the foolishness of the media by the fakeness of commercials, the fakeness of television, the fakeness of, of Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of that stuff. You ever stop and think about this? When's the last time you heard, man, that woman is as ugly as a mud fence, but she has a beautiful voice? You never ever notice all the talent shows happen to be talented people that have looks as well? I thought the show was just about talent. I mean, so she can sing, like, beautifully, but she's as ugly as a mud fence. You know what I mean? Then why shouldn't she be on the show? You ever notice that? As Americans, when you think about gifts and talent, you think about that perfect 
They got the whole package. They got everything. And then you start wanting to have what they have. And now you're envious because you don't. That's not how it works. You understand that, don't you? You know some of the most talented people get left in the dust by some of the hardest working people? Did you hear what I said? Do you realize a lot of the sloths in our culture, I'm talking sloths, I'm talking men that don't work and won't work, never finished school, never finished anything they started, are phenomenal at video games and sleep until noon, and have brilliant IQs. Some of the most gifted people accomplish the least. Oftentimes, that's a major problem. They got all the gifts in the world, but they accomplish nothing. So really, what's more important than asking yourself, what gifts and talents do I have, is asking yourself, does God have full control of me? If God has full control of me and I'm the Lord's and I'm definitely 100% given and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is my everything. All that matters is his opinion and me finding out what he wants me to do and then doing it. If that's the measure of success, and I'm trying to tell you that is the measure of success. I'm not supposed to be preaching tonight. I'm supposed to be teaching, but I can't help it. That is the measure of success. It's not how do you compare yourself to everybody else. What do you look like next to somebody who's got more talent than you get? What do you look like next to somebody who happens to be better looking than you are? You really don't have any control over that. Well, people with money do. They go get nose jobs and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, look at them 40 years from now. You know, you really don't have any control over that. Why are you worrying about things you don't have any control over? If all you do is compare yourself to people that you think are more talented and gifted than you are or have a better life than you have or worked out better for them, you're going to do nothing but frustrate yourself and then you're going to become a wart in the body. You're going to become a major cyst on the body. You're going to be that zit that pops up right on the tip of your nose at the most inopportune times. You understand what I'm saying? That's going to be who you are in the body because you're not thankful for what God gave you, recognizing that God is all that matters and I'm the Lord's. I am his and he is mine. And my desire is just to please God and be whatever God has designed for me to be. That ought to be our heart's cry. It is the Spirit of God in verse number 11 who works all this thing together. All these worketh, that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. In other words, God has a will for your life. Every last one of you. And God has given you some kind of abilities, or even some of us, lack of abilities, because that is simply his prerogative. What is your goal in life as a Christian? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? What ought our heart be to be? I want to be a great preacher. I want to be a great singer. I want to be a phenomenal pianist. I, I'd really love to play the piano like Anna or Brian can. I mean, that's my desire. I want to be able to... I mean, what do you want? Really, is that what you want out of life? Let me say this. Even if your desire is, I want to be the world's greatest soul winner. Okay. But the real desire ought to be... I want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. If it pleases the Lord Jesus Christ for me to always just be somebody that comes to church, enjoys my friends at church, enjoys the fellowship, 
enjoys the preaching, loves singing those hymns and raising my hand and saying amen and praising the Lord. And, and if that's what pleases God for me, then that's what I want to do. Look at Revelation chapter number 4. Let me show you our purpose. Keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians. Don't worry. I'm in a little bit of an introduction here, but we'll get moving through the chapter, okay? Revelation chapter 4. Look at our purpose. Every one of us, what's the purpose? You know, if you're to ask me, what's the purpose of Bible Believers Church, Pastor? Okay, here you go. You want to know what our, our purpose is, right? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what God created you for? His pleasure. You know what God's allowed us to build a church here for? His pleasure. You know, I've never really worried for two seconds what other people think of Bible Believers Church. You know why? It doesn't matter what they think. Do you want to know it doesn't matter what I think? It really doesn't. What matters? What does God think? This place is supposed to be a place that brings pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to do that, don't you? Go back to the book of Romans with me quickly, please. Romans chapter number 11. I want God to be pleased with what I am. I want God to be pleased with what I do. Romans chapter number 11, look at verse number 29. Just grab this quick verse for this thought because it makes a very good point. It says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So let me just suffice it to say this, back to 1 Corinthians 12, when God puts a gift in you or a calling on you, then God doesn't take that thing back. They're without repentance. So it's almost like, well, I know God, I realize you called me to preach and I realize you want me to be a pastor and I realize you called me to preach and want me to be a pastor in South Lyon. And I realize you don't just want me to be a preacher but a pastor, and not just a pastor, but a pastor in South Lyon. But on top of that, there's not a church somewhere in South Lyon that wants a King James Bible believer spitting, stomping, snorting, pulpit pounding, off the hook preacher, rightly dividing with the, with the perfect building and the perfect budget and the deacons and all the infrastructure all in place. And instead, what you called me to do is the one thing I made fun of everybody else in Bible college for doing. They would all say it was the big buzz around Bible college at the time when I was there. I want to be a Baptist church planner. I want to be a Baptist church planner. That was like the cool thing if you're a pastoral theology major was to be a Baptist church planner. And I used to think, you guys are idiots, man. I was like four or five years older than all the other freshmen. I wasn't very popular, but Grace is laughing already because I did have a small group of guys, about eight of them or so, that followed me around and called me dad. And that was the joke, you know. That was my little posse, you know what I'm saying? The rest of them, they were all kind of... A little more the rebel types, you know. But the rest of them were all, you know, they're, you know, I want to be a Baptist church planner, carrying their Greek cards around in the big three-ring binder with the, the, the three-by-five cards with their Greek vocab, you know, showing off that I'm a pastoral theology major. <laughs> and I would look at them and just shake my head. I'd sat in church after it split two or three times and there's nothing but eight people in the church building and the building's empty and we're knocking on doors to beat the band trying to fill the building up. And just, I, I've stood in the, in the little, uh, little 
cafeteria room or kitchen they had in there. It's just a tiny building. You wouldn't think you'd fit a kitchen in there, but there's a little kitchen in there. And I stood there in the window staring out at Milford Road, begging God every car that went by, please let them pull in, please let them pull in. And they just keep going by. I knew that feeling. I wasn't the pastor at the time. My dad was. But I knew that feeling. I did not want to start a little church in a living room. Look, come on, guys. Let's think about this for a second. Hey, I'm a pastor. You are? Where's your church? At that house over there. Come to my living room. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Chopping off ears and stuffing them in the freezer? You know what I mean? Like, this is weird, man. To me, nothing about that sounded like, but every step of the way, that is what God did. You see, when he calls you to do something, when he tells you to do something, he doesn't negotiate with you about it. He doesn't take it back and say, okay, fine. Well, well, I see what you really want, and I can use you your way. We'll take another route. In other words, your job is to know what God's put in you, and every one of you, God's put some things in you. And God's put some things in you that nobody else can do. Now, you've got to figure that out. You've got to know how God uses you. And that doesn't come overnight. Some of you don't know. Well, listen, if five years from now you still don't know, then shame on you. But if you're new and you're trying to figure it out, that's okay. That's normal. Just be faithful and seek God. Just desire to please God. And with time, God will reveal to you what it is your gifts and your callings are. So more important than what I want is what did God make me? Look at verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So what you have here in verse number 12 is the universal body of Christ. This is important because the, uh, the Baptist bride crowd will tell you that the body of Christ is only those that are saved and baptized in a Baptist church by a Baptist preacher. And, and that's what they're going to say, that that's the bride of Jesus Christ. And the rest of them, you're all part of the family of God, but you're not the bride of Jesus Christ. Which I've always felt was kind of funny. I, I, always, I always like to make jokes about that. Like, that's fine that I'm sure at the Lord's Supper we'll dump some wine on your white robe on purpose. You know what I mean? Because we're, we're not the bride. We're not going to be at the Lord's, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're just going to be there serving, you know. It, it's the most asinine and arrogant thing to say that only people from our particular stripe are the bride, and the rest of them, even though Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, the rest of them aren't really the bride, even though they get salvation, they're in the family. And, and, and can I just ask this question, what in the world does that mean? Only Baptists. Well, I mean, so what does that mean in 2022? What does that mean? You, you know, nowadays in 2022, there's Baptists that have women pastors? You know, in 2022, there's Baptists, the vast majority of them don't even believe the King James Bible. The vast majority of them don't rightly divide the word of truth. What does that mean? Because they're Baptists, then they're automatically in. So now what you got to do is you got to say, well, no, not those guys. Not the hard shell Baptists. Well, well, no, not the free will Baptists. You know, their doctrine's all a mess. Well, well, not those Baptists. But Okay, so what Baptists? Well, the independent Baptists. Okay, so then if you're independent... How is it that you're all a part of some bigger body? Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? You're reading into the text to make it fit what you want it to say. So we're not Baptist briders. We don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that garbage for one second. 
If somebody is born again, they're in the body of Jesus Christ. That is done by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God puts them in the body. So like it or not, even though I am not anywhere close to any kind of an ecumenical thing, listen, I'm at a point in my Christian life where I'm trying to learn to love and get along with the guys that believe like I believe, okay? That's how unecumenical I am. It's like, he's a king, just Bible, believing an independent, fundamental, rightly dividing. Yeah, but I don't want nothing to do with him. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God, help me. That is so wrong. I got to stop that. He doesn't do everything exactly like I do it. I don't like his personality. I don't like his attitude. I like, I'm trying to get to, I'm, I'm so unecumenical that it's a fault. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But I will say this. You are in the body of Jesus Christ with some Presbyterians, with some Methodists, with some Lutherans, the farther they fall away from the truth, the less and less of them are out there. But with some in the contemporary churches around us that I am so absolutely against the contemporary movement, the damaging, destructive nature of that movement, the shallowness of it, the fact that there's no difference between light and darkness with them, that there's concord between Christ and Belial with them. I'm against it all the way. I'm against the devil's music being given Jesus' lyrics. I'm against it. I'm against coming to church and shutting the lights off and putting it on a screen. I want you to carry an old-fashioned Bible in the church with ink and paper. Now, if you're using your phone tonight, I haven't noticed and I'm not targeting you. But I still believe that there's something about ink and paper. When you study the Bible in the, in the eternity future, I mean, when we're moving forward, at the end of the millennium, God opens the books and founds names written in the books. It doesn't say God pops up a gigantic iPad that God's got some kind of like the new thing now where they're doing a 3D and God pulls up this technology thing and, you know, the strobe lights start jamming and n- none of that's happening. He opens a book. I am all for sticking with the old-fashioned paper and ink. Open your Bible with the lights on and look at what I'm saying so you can learn the truth of the Word of God. Amen. By the way, your mind registers and it's scientifically been proven. Your mind registers and hangs on to things you read not through technology, but in paper and ink. I'm all for it. But I'm trying to tell you that anybody who's trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior by grace through faith, even if they're still sitting in a Roman Catholic church, they're part of the body. Salvation is not through the membership of a church. Connection to the bride of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with your baptism, even though we're going to baptize the end of this month because somebody came and said, man, I wanted to ask you, but I thought I hadn't been here long enough yet. And you said, announced the baptism. So that's got to be God. So we got one in. Amen. So if anybody else been saved and hasn't been baptized, you need to come see me. All right. Well, if you want to, won't pressure you. It's between you and God, but you should. All right, so as the body is, is one and hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. See that? That's not saying only people in Corinth. It's saying anybody that's been been baptized into Jesus Christ. Notice the word baptism. It's not talking about water. Nowhere in this context is there water. It says by one spirit. That's a capital S. That's a spiritual baptism. Now look at this, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now there's a couple different things I want you to see about this. First of all, let's touch on that baptism piece. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. We've got baptisms coming up at the end of the month, so let me show you this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 3. 
It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the capital S. That, that's, that, has, that takes effort in a church. Do you understand that? Do you know why? Because we're all human. You get this many personalities around, sooner or later, somebody's going to offend you. You're not going to like somebody. You're not going to like something. You're not going to like the way the pastor does something. You're going to be upset. You're not going to get what you want. And you're going to, therefore, be at a, at a crossroads. So you've got to endeavor. You've got to fight to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. See that in verse 4? And one Spirit. See the capital S? Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. Where's water? Everything about that passage in Ephesians 4, it's not talking about water. It's talking about the body of Jesus Christ, the salvation in them. You know, when you got saved, you were immersed into the body of Jesus Christ. That's the baptism it's talking about. Look at Colossians and chapter number 2. Look at verse 12. Colossians chapter number 2, verse 12. Well, look at verse 1, uh, verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision that happens the day you're saved. God literally cuts your soul away from your body inside of you. That is how a perfect Holy Spirit of God can inhabit sinful flesh. And when you sin with the Spirit of God inside of you, you don't contaminate Him. You grieve Him. That's how your salvation secured. Because it's in the Spirit. And He's perfect. So God cut the Spirit away from the flesh. A lost person's spirit is still stuck to their flesh, literally. So when a lost person touches something sinful, it defiles the body, soul, and spirit entirely defiled when a lost man sins. A saved man can do the same thing a lost man does and defile his body, defile his soul, but his spirit is sealed under the day of redemption. The spirit of God does not get defiled. So you can smoke cigarettes as a lost man and get cancer and die without getting the spirit of God inside of you dirty. Does that make sense? You can quench him, you can grieve him, but you cannot defile him. Because he cut that spirit away from your flesh. It's a spiritual circumcision. Do you got that? Makes sense, right? Now look at uh, the rest of the verse. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Look at verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. That thing's spiritual. That's not water baptism. You were put completely, you were immersed completely into Christ the day you got saved into his body. Let me show you another one. Here's the last one on the baptisms things. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Then I want to show you another one out of this verse. Look at Hebrews chapter number 6. The problem in the body of Christ is that too many of the saved people don't know their Bibles because their pastors aren't teaching them the Bibles because the pastors don't know the Bibles. Uh, they're taught in Bible school that they need to spend all their time in original languages and criticism and, and you know, textual criticism and comparing word studies and all that stuff. But they're not actually studying the Bible and letting the Bible speak for itself. When you study the Bible, let the Holy Spirit of God teach you the Bible and then teach the people the Bible. It's shocking how strong you can get in your doctrine and how much sense it all makes, man. It's a beautiful book. Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse number 2. It says, of the doctrine of baptisms... 
That's what I want you to see. Well, there's more than one baptism. We believe in water baptism. That's why we're going to do it on the fourth Sunday of this month. But that's not the baptism he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. Because there's no water in the context. Anything out of context is a pretext. In other words, your preconceived notions can read into any verse. If you pull the verse out of its context, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go back to verse 13. For by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body, whether ye be Jews or Gentiles, whether ye be bond or free. So, slaves or freemen. And have been all made to drink into one Spirit. See that? It's a spiritual drink. Jesus said, Whosoever cometh unto me shall never thirst again. It's a spiritual drink. The whole context is spiritual. You know what I noticed about this passage? It says, You're all baptized into one body, no matter what your race is. Jews or Gentiles. That's good. I don't care what you've heard preached or taught. That's Bible. I'm against, when I drive by these churches, you know, Chinese, first Chinese, whatever, Presbyterian, or I'm against that. First African, I'm against that. I think that's wrong. So you mean since this is a Chinese church and I'm not Chinese, I can't come in? You know what you literally say when you put that on the sign? You say, this is a Chinese church. You discourage everybody that's not Chinese from coming in. Everything that's not, everybody's not African from coming in. Everybody that's not Chaldean from coming I'm against that. When you see that, you know whoever is pastoring that thing doesn't know their Bible. Because you don't have a right to pick what race does or doesn't come to church. I think this, I think our church, this church, should look like the demographics within a driving distance of this church. So if... There's more and more Chinese people coming into this area, more and more Chaldeans coming into this area, more and more Middle Easterners coming into this area, more and more blacks coming into this area, then by the grace of God, we should start seeing more and more of those people coming into this church if we're reaching them. You know what else I'm against? I'm against catering to people just because their skin color. I hate that. I think it's, I think it's racist. I told Brother Rudolph, I said, you're not my friend because you're black. He was telling me one preacher actually told him actually told him, brother, you're black, use it. The white guys will support you. Use your, use your race. I said, are you kidding me, man? He's like, no, it's what he said. I said, to me, how'd you take that? He said, man, I don't care. That's why I like you, man. You, know, you don't care at all. I said, oh, that's why I like you. He just told me the other day, he's like, you're so Detroit. You know? <laughs> that's why he likes me. But listen, I said, I, that makes me angry. I said, I want you to know right now, I don't support you. I'm not your friend. Because you're black. I could care less what color you. I don't care if you're purple, man. I support you because of your character, because what you believe, because the man you are. I'll be your friend because of who you are. It has absolutely nothing to do with skin color. Do you know the day you get saved, you're not a Jew anymore? The messianic, this messianic Christianity kind of stuff, like, it bothers me. But what do you guys, you guys don't understand? You, you and I, you and I, if you're a Jew... You and I, you're not a messianic Jew like you're separate from me. We're the body of Jesus Christ. Forget all that stuff. It does not matter what race somebody is. You live in this ridiculous day of oversensitivity about race. I'm tired of it. Amen. That's good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want you to, I want you to see some verses on it. There's more in your Bible on it. Look at Colossians chapter number 3. This was an issue. Listen, it's an issue nowadays, right? 
you guys, you can say, right, you know, like, yeah, relax. It's an issue nowadays. And the more they talk about stamping this stuff out and try to do all this stuff to equalize and everything else, the less equal it gets. You understand that, right? It's not going to go away. Man can't fix these problems. These are ancient problems. It was a problem in this church. Colossians, he has to nail on it too. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. No matter what color they are. I mean, it's been kind of cool seeing all the Asians coming lately. Brian's family's been coming. I want to get some more. Peter on. I texted him yesterday. He's got, of course, as soon as he starts coming faithfully, then the, the work starts slamming him. So pray they let him off so he can be here. Man, it's a blessing, man. I love it. I think it's wonderful. Why? Because it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Because it's Christ that's all in and all. Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. Back there, we'll go to 12 in just a second. 1 Corinthians 10.13. You know how much this is in the Bible? I uh, might have got a bum re- reference there. Um, yeah, 10.13. Yeah, that's not the right reference. Never mind. Uh, just go back to 1 Corinthians 12. It's all over the place in the New Testament. They had to make the point because there was a ton of racism. And to be honest with you, it was the Jews versus all the Gentiles. The Jews weren't accepting of the Gentiles. That was the issue. They were the superior race. And the rest of us, you know what we all are? We're all Gentiles, man. I don't care if you're white, you're black, you're Asian, you're Middle Eastern. If you're not a Jew, guess what you are? Which was the other verse I wanted to show you. And I, and I put, what is it? 1032. Thank you. I put 13 down. That's why I don't like typing. I like writing. Yes, 1032. There it is. Now, here's an important verse for you. It says, give none offense. How about that? When I was a kid, it was like, we don't want blacks in this church. Man, are you joking? Do you ever stop and think about that and say, what would it be like to get in the car on the way home and try to explain that to the kids? Do you ever stop and think about that? Do you ever put yourself in that shoe? Man, if there's a good black preacher in town... Ain't nobody can preach like a good black preacher, man. I'm telling you, you get a black preacher who believes the King James Bible and knows how to rightly divide it, <laughs> I'd sit at his feet and learn how to pre- just preparation and delivery. You understand what I'm saying, right? Man, them guys can preach. I do, I, you know what would break my heart is if I tried to walk in there and say, girls, I want you to hear this guy preach, man. He can preach, boy. And we walk in and say, we don't let no white people in here. Well, honey, he's a great man of God, but they all got their faults. Even great men of God got their... You explain that on the way home and... Let them see how that feels. Look how God views the world. Give none offense, neither to the Jews. You know them Jews. You know them Jews. They're so stingy. Really? Neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. You know how God sees the world right now? If you want to know how to rightly divide your Bible, you're one of three things. You're either a Jew in the eyes of God, everybody else, you're a Gentile. Hey, talking about racism, actually. (laughs) All them Middle Easterners. Really? Like, everybody from the Middle East that comes here is a terrorist. Are we having fun yet? (laughs) You know, some of them actually come here because they're persecuted over there, and they try to get here because they love to serve Jesus Christ, and then they walk into a Bible-believing church... They walk into one of our churches and they're getting that political 
garbage ought to save men that ought to know better? Think about that a minute. How does God see it? You ain't any better than them. You're no better than them. Like, you think you're better than them because you were born in America. Like, like in eternity past, before you were born, you and God did some negotiating, and, and you were like, you know what, Lord, I'm really going to be a great guy to be born in America. And you put your name in the hat, and you were worthy to be born to the parents you were born to, and so therefore you were born here in this country, and you got here because you deserve to be here, right? That was how it worked out for you? Why aren't you in Haiti right now? Why aren't you in the Middle East somewhere right now? Why weren't you born somewhere over there in China right now? You're here because you're just here. You ain't no better than them. According to God, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You're no better than them. But there's a third bracket that God sees, and that's the church of God. So when you're born again and you're saved, you're in the body of Jesus Christ, and there is no race. All right, I think I beat that to death enough. Go back to the chapter. Let's move on to verse number 14. For the body is not one member, but many. All right, that's self-explanatory. For the foot shall say, because I'm not of the body, I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. Okay, so the point is very simple. He's making this as an illustration. He's using the human body as an illustration of the body of Christ, of the spiritual body. And what he's saying is, the foot can say, man, I really wish I was the eyes. But the foot is really necessary in order for the body to operate. The eyes can say, I wish I was the ears. But the eyes are really necessary in order for the body to operate. The hand can say, man, I wish I was the face, but you really need a hand to take care of your face. Do you understand? This is how it works in the church. This is what the Spirit of God has done. There are different members of the body of Christ in one group, even if you take it down to the local level, in one group here in this local body, we all have our different parts. Here's the other thing that I believe, and I believe this strongly, more and more as I do this longer and longer. Local bodies around the country, or around the state, or around a city, they all look a little bit different. If you can go from one Bible-believing church to the next, and everything is exactly the same, you've got a real problem. Something's not right. <laughs> there are differences. And listen, just because other people don't do things exactly the way we do down to all the minute details does not make them necessarily wrong and us right. Maybe we're pleasing God and maybe they're pleasing God and we're not operating the same way. I'm not talking about the Bible issue and doctrine and music, the important things. I'm talking about just kind of nuances, just kind of hang-ups. Do you know that, let me just say this, there are a lot of saved people around this area that just wouldn't do good in this church. Now, my attitude has changed a lot from what it used to be. It used to be, I didn't want anybody from another church because why would I want somebody else's headache, right? Um, just, just let me win people to Christ and deal with that, help them, and then they got saved here, and I helped them here, and then, you know, they, they love this place, and they know where they belong, and this is it. I used to feel that way, and I've realized that I'm wrong on that. There's a lot of saved people out there 
that don't need to come here to get saved, they're already saved. They just need to be fed the Word of God. And I've actually changed my prayers. I still want to win lots of souls to Christ. I love it, man. I love seeing people saved. I love seeing the, the transformation. I love watching the mess and, and watching God put them together. And, and it's, it's, it's nothing like it. But man, I've been praying hard for saved people to come. People that are already saved that really just want to get in the Bible more. Why? Well, because maybe we're what they need. But you know there's other churches within driving distance that... They have a bunch of people that wouldn't sit under this kind of preaching or like this church or like the way I do things or like the standards I do or don't have, and they go to their church. And at their church, you go in there and be like, I don't want to go, I can't do this. But it doesn't make them wrong. They're just the foot and we're the beautiful face. You know what I'm saying? It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> and of course, they see it the other way, right? <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? That God has different local assemblies that are all part of the body that have sort of a different function, but they're all necessary. One thing I've asked myself a lot when I get that critical spirit and I pray against it and I'm trying not to is I ask myself this question. If God gave you the opportunity to push a button and delete that local church, would you do it? Yeah, that's dangerous. Then I say, no, I wouldn't delete them. They believe the Bible. I wouldn't delete them. They're preaching Calvary. I wouldn't delete them. There's some saved people there. They need to be in a church. Then God says, then are they your enemy? No, Lord, they're not. Then maybe you got the issue. Why does it get so quiet? It gets quiet when we talk like that, don't it? The same is true in your local body. So let's keep going so we can get done here. We left off, I think, at verse uh, 20. So verse 21. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely, that's unattractive parts, have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Really a mouthful. Pretty self-explanatory. Here's, here's a, you know, a great example. Most people don't have beautiful noses. Right? You don't walk around saying, my, what a beautiful nose. Right? Most of the time? Okay, when you're weird, maybe, but... (laughs) Okay, well, let's pull your nose off and smear the boogers all over your face. Your nose covers up some boogers. You got that, right? You can all breathe. It's all right. You know how much worse you look without a nose? Well, I wish I wasn't the nose. Well, thank God you got a nose, man. That's a good thing, right? I seen, a, I seen a grown adult in public just the other day just kind of dig for one, look down, eat it, and keep walking. I thought, like, well, okay, that's got a purpose. That person's got a great immune system, you know. <laughs> that's why babies get such good immune systems. You should eat your boogers more. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a look from my family. I need to move on. You understand what I'm saying? It has a purpose. 
the more uncomely parts, your toes. Toes aren't attractive, folks. You ladies paint your toes and all that stuff, and I don't understand why you waste the time. It just draws more attention to your foot. They're not supposed to be pretty. They have a purpose. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> Those toes become really, really important when you break one. You can be a highly skilled, there's a brown belt at the school, man, highly skilled. The guy's amazing. He's the only, one of the only other instructors other than Ronaldo. He's amazing. He broke his toe. All his skill ain't much good when his toes broke. You understand what I'm saying? It puts a whole lot of importance on that one little piece down there, all the way over there, that you don't even ever see most all the time. But God created your body to have that, that toe right there. And it ain't very pretty. As you get older, they get uglier, especially if you stay on them a lot, stay active. They get worse and worse with time. You understand what I mean? But they're very important. God had tempered the body together, right? That there be no schism in the body in verse 25. But that the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, when somebody comes along and they're not attractive, they don't have any special talent or special ability. They don't rate very high on this socioeconomic status. You know what that is, right? It's their, their social slash financial place in life. That to us, which full circle back to the introduction as Americans, that's really important. What they're driving, where they work, how much money they have, where they live, what they look like, what their talents are. All those things, how, what kind of a personality they have, how many friends they have, whether or not they're good at sports. All those things, like, they don't rank very high on the socioeconomic ladder, so we treat them like garbage. I've seen it my entire life in church. Can you tell I'm trying to control my temper right now? I've seen it my whole life. I've seen it in youth groups. When they come here, this should be a safe place. They go to public school, you know what they're going to get? Picked on and tortured if they're trying to do right. Made fun of if they're trying to do right. They're going to become a target if they're trying to do right. And then they come in somewhere like this or they come to youth conference, or they come to camp, and they're wanting to get around other kids that love the Lord where they can just relax and just be one of the crew, and they start getting picked on, ostracized, because they're goofy, because they're fat, because they're ugly, because they're whatever it is kids make fun of each other for nowadays. God help you. We're not going to put up with a lot of that stuff. Somebody comes in and they're crippled up. Well, step out of the way for them. Give them your seat. Hold the door for them. They stink. They don't shower enough. Well, stand there and talk to them anyways. You'll live. Thank God you have deodorant. You understand what I'm saying? Well, they don't have any money. So, so what? Maybe they're dropping that widow's mite in. And God's saying, oh, the comely parts that get all the attention because everybody naturally, oh, they can sing. Oh, they got this talent. Oh, they got that ability. Oh, they're so charismatic. Oh, man, we all hang out at his house because he's got a sweet pad and a sweet ride. He doesn't need anything from God. He's got it all. That's what he said in the text. But he says that uncomely part, God, God takes care of that part. That means something to the Lord. That one that nobody else cares about, that's important to God. You know, I think God sends people into churches on purpose that are obnoxious and annoying. Because they don't have a so, you, know, you know, there's such a thing as a social IQ, right? Do you know what, you know, some of you know what a social IQ is? 
Like, you can kind of tell when you're being obnoxious or when this person doesn't really like you, and so you sort of just kind of, like, learn to throttle it back a little bit and, like, okay, I need to not talk. Like, that guy doesn't really jive with me. Like, just kind of aware of yourself around other people and how you're coming across and whether or not you are. Some people don't have that. They don't get it. They don't realize, I mean, I'm probably kind of low on that scale myself. Like, they don't realize how they come across to people. And I think sometimes God sends people like that into church. And sometimes they're the happiest, nicest people just trying to befriend everybody, and they're obnoxious. Girls, that does not mean that some obnoxious guy in youth group you have to be nice to because he's obnoxious and he won't take no for an answer. You just be rude to him and you send him to preacher, okay? I'll be nice to him. Understand what I'm saying? People can abuse this stuff. But you understand the concept of what I'm trying to tell you, right? I'm trying to tell you that God will send people like that along to test the character of a church. And he'll say, no, I want them there. I want them in that church. And, and Mike, you're their pastor. And God will watch me to see how I treat those on the lowest rung of the ladder. To see if I'm really God's man and I'm really a pastor. Or if I'm some kind of a punk, charlatan, money-grubbing. And if I'll let the guy that's an embarrassment and a disgrace to our reputation sit on the front row or not. Let them, let them, let let them, let them talk. You don't know nothing, man. You don't know nothing. You don't, you don't know nothing. You know nothing about his background. You know nothing about where he's going through. You know nothing about what he's, where he's come from. I might know a little bit more than some other people know. Shut your stinking mouth. Ain't none of your business. And I don't, I don't need a hundred pastors running around the church because if everybody's the eyes, you know what you are? You're a freak at a freak show. You're not the body. Sorry, I'm not trying to flex my proverbial flex my muscles kind of a thing, but I'm just trying to say you don't need a church full of the Holy Spirit. You got one Holy Spirit, and he's doing a fine job, and you don't need a bunch of pastors running around the church. We got a pastor, and he's trying, okay? I'm not saying he's doing a fine job, but he's trying. Do you understand what I mean? Instead of diving into everybody else's business, maybe our job is to try to help each other, to try to love each other, to try to encourage each other, to try to edify each other, to try to build each other up, and to make sure that when God sends somebody our way that we might not like, that you might not want here, we don't want their type in this church. I've had people say that to me. I had them say that to me over the fact that some individuals had a higher standard than they had. Because in that family, the dad didn't feel like it was right for women to wear pants, so his family wore skirts. And somebody came to me and said, we don't want their type around here. This was years and years ago, so it's none of you, okay? We don't want their type around here. And I said, excuse me? We, we all came from that kind of stuff. We don't want that type around here. Yeah, guess what? They're long gone, and they ain't coming back. Not the skirt people. The other ones. Why? Because I don't want that type around here. That ain't none of your business what kind of standards they do or don't have. That's God's business. Well, I don't like those kind of people. Well, you don't have to like them. If God put them in this body, then guess where they're staying? In this body, and I'll defend the sheep. And those that I find out are wolves in sheep clothing, I kill the wolves. That's my job. Why? Because God's tempered that thing together, and sometimes people come along that you go, I don't like them. I wish they weren't here. They're obnoxious. They're this, they're that. And the Lord's like, yeah, I know, but I want them in there. And they actually have a purpose. And when I get done working on them and developing them, you're going to realize how bad you need them. And then when the devil cuts them away, can I tell you folks something? When the devil cuts somebody away, it hurts. It hurts. We realize how much we really love our church family when somebody leaves. 
Why? Because it's a body. It's important. Verse 26. Uh, 25, that there be no schisms in the body, but that the members shall have the same care one for another. It doesn't matter who you are, what your socioeconomic status is. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. No competition in the church. When somebody's in pain, you should rejoice with those that do rejoice and weep with those who weep. Somebody's crying, you ought to be able to cry with them. You ought to love them enough to be able to truly cry with them without faking it. It ought to hurt you when they're hurting. And when they get promoted and they get a new car, they get a new house, they get something you want, you ought to rejoice with them. No competition in the body. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we're one body, but we're all separate. We're we're individual members. God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. So there's a process there. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing. Now, we discussed those already. Look at this one. Here's another gift in the church, and we're almost done. Helps. You know, some of you got that gift. You know, those guys drive me nuts. No, really, they do. It's just they drive me nuts. Because it's always like they're always volunteering to go help everybody everywhere. It's a spiritual gift. Not everybody has that gift. You understand what I'm saying? But those guys are like, they they put me under so much conviction. Because they always are finding a project somewhere to help somebody with. But do you know how necessary that is? That is a spiritual gift. You know, I've never resented picking up the phone and calling Dave D when I needed him. Even if it's, you know, you remember the story about the poop smoothie at the youth conference, right? Because my macerator in the basement wasn't working. And he's, man, when that guy shows up on a, on a, he calls them service calls. That's what he calls them, like he's, a, like he's a repair guy. I'm on a service call. Well, he shows up on a service call. He might be cranky at first, you know, because, you know, it disrupted his day. Because you know Dave. But, man, by the time he's done, that guy is, like, so happy, goofy, giggly, happy you've ever seen Dave D in your life. You know why? It's a spiritual gift. God has a way of spiritually refreshing him when he's doing something he's gifted to do. That doesn't mean blow them up every time your sink's not draining. Figure some things out yourself, okay? Don't take advantage of people like that because those kind of people can be taken advantage of. My preacher said, I pick my charities, they don't pick me. Amen. There's some other guys in the church that got the same gift, but I won't embarrass them. They're always finding somebody to help. You know, we all need that. You know, some old widows in the church need that. People in the church that can't do for themselves what they used to, they need people like that around in the body. Well, that's not a very spiritual gift. It, it's given by the Holy Spirit of God to members of the body of Christ to just help. Well, that's not the one I want. Yeah, it's not too attractive when preachers like, look in there and see, and you push the thing and the stuff ejects out in your face. And, I knew better, you know. Not very attractive, is it? But man, it sure was a blessing. It sure was a help to me. And that's happened for me over and over and over again throughout the years. I mean, going full-time here at the church, I can't tell you how many times I knew how to fix nothing. And because of circumstances of my life, I had no older guy to call. There was nobody to call, to fall back on. You know what God gave me? God gave me a now 62, 63-year-old. By the way, happy birthday. We're going to get you before church is over. I don't want Dave to get mad at me that I forgot tonight. You weren't here this morning. 
She had a birthday this week, too. She's not 63. She's 23. Dave's 63. God puts a guy that's now 63 years old in the church to help me. And he said, God told him when he came here that year to stay and help that young man with anything that he needs done. That's a spiritual gift. See how attainable some of these are? Governments. Diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You know what the answer is? No. (laughs) Not everybody has everything. There's different gifts dispensed to different people. Now here's what's really important. I'm going to give you this little nugget and we'll wrap it up. Notice it says, "Have do all speak with tongues? No, right? Obviously. All these people that he's talking about all have the Spirit of God, right? Because they're all this in context. This is talking about the body of Christ, right? You know why that's important? Because the charismatics are going to tell you the evidence of having the Spirit is speaking in tongues. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says not everybody has that gift. So even if you don't understand that they're a sign gift, right, to the Jews and that it's gone now because the Jews rejected, you should still be able to see here that that's not an evidence of having the Spirit of God. Do you see the problem? Do you understand the problem? The problem with religion and false doctrine is people, God's people, aren't in God's Word studying it like it is, leaving it alone and saturating in it, learning the Bible. If you learn the Bible, it'll keep you safe from all kinds of doctrinal insanity. The last verse and we're done. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. You know a Christian can covet? Oh, the Bible says be angry and sin not, right? You can get angry without being... There's godly anger. Do you know there's godly jealousy? And there's godly covetousness. Godly covetousness is where you want more spiritual gifts to bring more glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and be more of a servant in the body. But, I showed you a more excellent way, chapter 13, we'll get to it next week, or in two weeks, because I'll be gone next Sunday, but two weeks from today, we'll get to chapter 13. And he said, I got something even better for you than the best gifts that every one of you can do. Not a person in the body that can't do this. And you're never going to get to the point where you can covet earnestly the best gifts the right way, the way the Bible teaches you to do it, with the Spirit of God on it, if you don't first accept what it is God's already given you and do with what God's already given you what you're supposed to do with what God's already given you, accepting that, not resisting it, and being thankful for it and willing to utilize it as it is, plus nothing, minus nothing, because that's God's pleasure in your life accepting what you've got. God will not give you the mysterious extra will of God until you deal with the revealed will of God, the basic will of God, the simple will of God. You ain't getting anything special. Not until you deal with what God's already given you and accept that. All right, we'll stop right there for tonight.